today is going to be our last Sunday in our summer series, Our Words to Live By. It has really been a joy and it's really been edifying for me to hear your words to live by, to learn from you what are the passages of Scripture, what are the verses of Scripture that you have held on to in seasons of uh, turmoil or distress or seasons of joy and celebration or anything in between that have really provided you a compass, a true north, a direction for your life. They are passages that I wouldn't have picked, and that's been part of the joy and my fascination in it. What from God's word has spoken to you at particular times and particular ways to which for which we give God the glory. Uh, what I'm going to do now moving forward is instead of just sort of letting this end and getting on to the next thing, which we are so apt to do so often in our lives, is I'd like to take all of those verses of scripture because I think we've had, it's going to be 12 sermons now, 12 passages and verses of scripture, and I'm going to uh, ask my wife to kind of do the final editing on that because she's much better at graphic design and those things, and we're going to make those available for you. And feel free to take one, to take 12, to take what you need to continue to put those before you as we, again, move forward in faith and life and mission together as Connections Church. Today, to wrap it up, I have the honor of sharing my words to live by, words that have guided my life from Scripture for now, wow, more than 30 years. And we're going to break that down for you. Before we jump right in, as we jump right in, let me ask you a question. Do you want to know and do God's will for your life? I know what the answer is. Yes, Pastor George, of course I want to know and do God's will for my life. Why else would I be in church? Why else would I call myself a Christian? If you are new or exploring faith, we are so glad to have you here. But instead of just giving the quick, easy answer, let's pause on that just long enough to really get real. Instead of just giving the right answer, the real answer, do you really want to know and do God's will for your life? Do you want his will to be done in your speech? Do you want his will to be done in how you conduct yourselves in all affairs? Do you want his will to be done in the way that you do your job and interact with your coworkers? Do you want his will to be done in your singleness? Do you want his will to be done in your marriage? Do you want his will to be done in how you raise your kids? Do you want his will to be done in how you budget and conduct your finances? Do you want his will to be done in all that you watch and all that you listen to and all that you see and do as we break it down? And if we're real with ourselves, it's a big question. And it is in many ways the question of our lives. Do we want to see and do God's will in and through our lives. My verse seeks to, or I seek to direct my life and my will towards this every day. My life verses are Romans 12, 1 and 2. I am going to point out to the team that my phone just lost connection, which it often is apt to do. So if you can just follow along here on screen with the verses, I'm going to share these verses with you the way I learned them, old school NIV before the revision. Here it goes. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your true and right, your reasonable act of worship, depending on your translation. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, say it's good. good. His pleasing, say it's pleasing. And it's perfect. Say it's perfect. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. I stumbled upon these verses when I was in college, when I was transitioning from my youth to my young adulthood. And I was at a Christian liberal arts college. I was kind of diving into every mission trip, every Bible study, every opportunity I could at that stage in life to try and grow my faith and really find God's will for my life. Uh, a book was recommended at that time, and the book's title was The Secular, or it is, The Secular Squeeze, Finding Christian Depth in a Shallow World. The title was worth the price, and the introduction was worth the whole book, because that just resonated with me. The Secular Squeeze. I wanted to find Christian depth and what I observed and perceived to be a very shallow world, I wanted the depth of true belief and faith. The world was kind of telling me, and it kind of tells us, make your meaning, find your path, discover who you are. It wants us to well up from within our own truth. And that just didn't resonate as truth with me. If there is truth, if there is objective truth, if God is real and God's will exists uh, and there's something greater than me, which I desperately hope there was something greater than me at work in the world, I wanted to discover it, uncover it, uh, be transformed by it, live into it. I didn't want to well it up, bring it up on my own. I wanted to find it. I wanted to find Christian depth. And what this book, it just went through and it outlined a true depth and meaning is found in finding God in all things. And he had a real clever way of painting it out. He just kind of said things throughout the book like, you know, without God, there is paint, but there is no art. Without God, there can be words, but there is no poetry. You can have noise, but can you have true music lifted up to the glory of God? You can have movement, but can you have dance that glorifies God? You can do work, but can you discover a calling without God? You can make a commitment. I like this one. But can you step into covenant without God? You can busy your life, fill your time, but without God, it will all be whatever you manifest, you try to create, you try to conjure up. But with God, there is the true depth of life to be discovered. This is just making a little bit of brushing against my, my whiskery face here, even though I did just shave. So I'm going to just fix that there. So there you go. And I wanted that depth. And this passage pointed me towards this. And so now for more than 30 years, I have sought to start my day, my daily office, before anything else, as I kind of center myself, as I open God's word, as I will do some devotions and some time in scripture and go through a number of affirmation or other Bible memory verses, I will often start with this. Today, George, today, therefore, in view of God's mercy, 
reflect for as long as it takes upon the mercy of God in view of all that God has done, will you now offer your body, George, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Is your body, is your conduct, is all you're doing with your life holy and pleasing to God? This is just the reasonable spiritual worship to give back to God. Have I been conformed to the pattern of this world anyways? Have I been duped? Have I been taken? Have I just been on cruise control? Have I just been coasting with some things of this world? Or am I being transformed? Is my thought life and all that flows from it being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Will I be able this day to test and approve what God's will will be? What will be his will for my work, for my family, for my own personal life, for my friendships, for my neighbors? What will God's will for my life be today? That is the desire of my heart, even though I don't succeed at fulfilling it, living into it each and every day. But that is where I am aiming. Our passage, like many of the passage we've gotten into actually this past summer, it's a therefore passage. And how many times have you all heard, whenever you see a therefore, you stop and see what it's there for, right? The fascinating thing to me is that scripture uses that as a transition. What will precede it is very often a theological argument or outline. And what is coming after it is going to be the application, the living into those revealed truths of God for our lives. So it does make perfect sense in many ways that many of our words to live by, many of our life applications come in these therefore statements. Therefore, in light of all that God has done, how am I now going to live into it? It makes perfect sense, but that's been a fascinating observation for me to see how all of us tend to um, just get focused in on and then land on the therefore statements of God and scripture. And certainly my life, my verse is one of them. It tells us therefore. So let's just pause long enough to see what comes before. What comes before it is often called the, def the doxology. I'm gonna need the team to uh, flip through these verses because again, they're not, my, my phone has lost its connection here. This is what Paul says as he wraps up now 11 chapters of theological discourse. In many ways, what we would say is the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is Paul's kind of magnum opus, right? This is where he outlines in the greatest detail the work of God through Jesus Christ for the world, for our lives. And at that moment, he erupts into this moment of praise that we call the doxology. And he says this, oh, the depth. Somebody say it's deep. All right, you're still with me. That's the depth that we're looking for. That's the depth that I want. I don't want a shallow, meaningless, purposeless life. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him? And for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he wraps up his magnum opus with that outburst of praise. And then he's going to spend the rest of Romans transitioning into what it will mean for our lives. But he has to begin with this. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. 
We must live our lives with the mercy of God in view. This is what Paul uses as kind of the, he just like, like this, what do they call them? Those black, like a black hole where everything is like condensed. It all like just comes pouring into God's mercy. What God has done has been showing us, offering to us mercy. I say that all the time. I actually got called out on it by little nephews. Apparently, whenever they're exasperating me or something is happening, I just kind of do like one of these, like, oh, mercy. And it's really funny to me that they I kind of say that now because each time I hear it, I am then reminded of, oh, there is actually an objective mercy of God out there available for all of us. We need mercy. Oh, I've been loving the uh, Cobra Kai series on Netflix, but I do love the original movies. Remember Karate Kid 2? Karate Kid 2, anybody remember Daniel and uh, Mr. Miyagi? They go back to Okinawa. And of course, you know, things happen and love affairs and all this kind of stuff. But then it comes to that final scene where Daniel is challenged to a fight to the death, right? He's in the ring. He's in the arena. I forget all the circumstances that brought it together. But I remember the scene. They're duking it out. They're fighting. And then every, and, and Daniel, you know, he's getting beat up. And like, oh, no, is he really going to die? Like somehow we actually think that sometimes, right? Watching these movies. We're so taken in. What's going to happen? And then they all start rolling the little drums, remember? And Daniel starts punching. And he gains the advantage. And he's on top of the guy. And he raises his fist and, you know, as expected, he's like, you know, he's like, do it, you know, like, you know, he thinks he's about, you remember it, you remember it, you're all picturing the scene, you remember what he does there? He like honks his nose and it's actually quite hilarious and he shows him mercy. He could have taken his life, but he shows him mercy. That's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, we were dead separated, apart from God. But because of his great mercy, because God loved us enough to send his son, because Jesus loved us enough to die as the atoning sacrifice on the cross, the lamb of God whose blood was shed for the remission of our sins. Oh, again, you can preach sermons and sermons on it. We, we, will, we will reflect and glorify God for it throughout all eternity, but it is the mercy of God for us through Jesus Christ. Romans has done a very compelling job of walking us through that mercy. Some of us have heard, or maybe we've been led to faith by the Romans road. Have you ever heard of the Romans road? It's a kind of a great little tool. Romans chapter three talks how, tells us how we are all dead in our sins apart from God. We've fallen short of his holiness, of his perfection, of his glory. Chapter five gets into saying, that while we were yet sinners, before we could do anything for ourselves, God did something for us and he sent us his son. And again, Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for us. Romans 10 gloriously gives us the invitation. Anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. We can be saved. We can know salvation. We have salvation. We have forgiveness. We have life because of the work of Jesus. Perhaps the one verse encapsulates it all so beautifully. Romans 6.23 tells us this simply, and yet this, this, this profoundly with this depth, the wages, the wages, what we've earned, what we deserve, 
what we should get, the wages of sin. Oh, we don't want to hear it. Don't call me a sinner. Oh, the wages of our sin is death. It's the hard truth. But the verse isn't over, but the gift, the free gift offered to us, extended to us, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Hallelujah and amen. This is the mercy of God for us. And what follows needs to happen in light of the mercy of God. Again, I could preach a whole sermon series on it, but we have to put that front and forward moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day, understanding that we live into and out of the mercy of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, they didn't show mercy to Jesus, right? Judas didn't show mercy to Jesus when he betrayed him. The soldiers didn't show mercy to Jesus whenever they arrested him. The crowd didn't show mercy to Jesus when they shouted, crucify, crucify, crucify. The religious leaders didn't show mercy to Jesus when they handed him over to Pilate. Pilate didn't show mercy to Jesus when he put him on to Herod. Herod didn't show mercy to Jesus when he sent him back to Pilate. The guards didn't show mercy to Jesus when they scourged him. They didn't show mercy to Jesus when they nailed him on the cross. But God, through Jesus Christ for us, has shown us the mercy. The mercy that we needed. The mercy that would bring us life. Oh, friends, ne ne never get over, get beyond, get past the beauty, the glory, the mercy of Paul is urging us, once we understand deep down in our heart and our soul and our mind, once we deep down know the mercy of God, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God, now offer your body as a living sacrifice. Oh my goodness, this is like the best part here. I'm probably going to say that three more times. This part is so awesome. He, he goes, uh, be, to offer your body now as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Th this, is, this is incredible what he has done. What you need to get that he's done in these few words is he's taken all of the past and he's moved it into the future and the new way that we relate and have a relationship with God. In the old way, in the Old Testament, through the Jewish law, the people went to temple worship and they stood with a priest mediating before them. And they took an animal and they put it on the altar. And that animal on the altar soon got pretty dead. And then for a while, symbolically, you were atoned for. You were right with God. You could move forward in a relationship with God. And now Paul is saying, oh, no, 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 no. All that was pointing to what would be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And now you don't come to the temple. You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus. You don't need to have a mediator anymore. Jesus has become that mediator before. And now what you're doing isn't this temple ritualistic worship. It is your spiritual worship. It is your reasonable worship. It is your true and knowledgeable worship. I like it that the translations vary on this because they're all kind of pointing us to the depth that this is the reason, in light of what God has done, this is the reasonable thing to do. The reasonable thing to do is to move out of this ritualistic religion.
religion into this relationship that we have. In view of what all Jesus has done, now the reasonable thing to do is not to offer an animal that soon gets dead, but to offer your body which stays alive through Jesus Christ. Are you getting the depth of what he is revealing to us? It's no longer about the temple, about animals, about dying on the altar. It is about Jesus and coming before him and laying down our lives so that we could be made alive, we who are dead, made alive now in him. Tell me you're excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody be happy about this good news revealed for us. It's amazing. It's amazing now what we have available to us. Through Jesus Christ, we get to offer ourselves now, holy and pleasing to God. Oh, that's the rub though, isn't it? Offering our bodies, holy and pleasing to God. Let me tell you this, don't miss this. Don't, 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 just, don't just, you know, move past this quickly. You are holy and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Many of us have a conflicted relationship with our bodies. We know that there's eating disorders, there's self-loathing, there's self-harm, there's people who take their own lives. We know that there's a lot that can go into the relationship we have with our bodies. Do you know God calls you an image bearer? You know he calls you his child, he calls you dearly loved. Do you know that he loves the body he made you in? It might not be perfect, it might be decaying, it might ache and creak nowadays. <laughs> it and he wants it offered back to him holy and pleasing that's a good message for a lot of us to hear a lot could be said on that but he wants your body to be holy and made more and more holy and given over to him as a pleasing offering here's the thing that i discover though in my life as a living sacrifice I climb up on that altar, I lay it all before God, and through the course of the day or the weeks or the months, I tend to slither off that altar. <laughs> Lusts, desires, things of the world tend to crop up in my mind and my thoughts, and I want to just sort of slide off that altar. Oh God, do I really have to offer my entire thought life as a living sacrifice to you? Oh, do I really have to offer everything that you've entrusted to my stewardship and care? As an offering to you. Oh God, do I really have to give you all of my time? Couldn't I take a weekend off, you know, and just kind of do my own thing for a while? I keep wanting to slide off that altar all the time when I really reflect on my life. Whether it be in my words or my actions or my thoughts or my behaviors or greed or pride or arrogance or envy or anger or malice and and the truth of the matter is and i think the truth of the matter for all of us is you don't want to live like that it can be tempting for a season and it is tempting for seasons but we don't want to be driven by lust and envy and anger and greed and pride and anger and malice we want to be holy and pleasing i i really still believe that as image bearers of god we want the holy and pleasing things of God made true through our lives. We don't want to be driven by those evil desires, by those old ways. We want to be holy and pleasing to God. And God says, keep offering it. Keep offering it. Keep offering your body as that living 
sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, your reasonable, it just makes sense act of worship. Oh, and that's only through verse one and there's more I could say about it. All of that then, then he makes this point, he says, he says, therefore, after all this stuff, because of you know, God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now here's that rub. Now don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. This is the part that actually caught my attention as a college student. Because as a college student with, uh, you know, growing my hair. By the way, I didn't like cut my hair. I thought I was like trying to be like Samson in college. I, I went to college and I was like, I'll never cut my hair. And then it's like, it was really long. I was, I was all grunge. I was trying to be a nonconformist. I just love that. There's something in us like, oh, George, be the nonconformist. I don't want to conform to the world, which is true. We want to be our own selves. We want to find our own look. We want to have our own voice. We want to have our own passions. We want to stand out, right? And yet, that's kind of held in tension with we want community. We want brothers and sisters. We want our tribe. We'll talk about it now. They're not opposed. These aren't opposing ideas. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. There's a lot that we can celebrate about this world because we know that God so loved the world. He loves the world. Loves the world so much he gave his son for the world. But there's things about the world and we can handle that, right? We can handle the depth of some definitions that, you know, are kind of broad. But there are some things in this world that we are not to simply be conformed to any longer. And here's where we have to pause and really start to consider our life. Am I just being a rebel without a cause? Or am I being a nonconformist because of the cause of Jesus Christ? Am I examining my life? Am I examining the world? Am I thinking and certainly just landing on some things to say, you know, this is a way of the world that my life should not conform to. I shouldn't just conform to maybe the way that the world says I should conduct my affairs. I shouldn't just conform to the way that the world uses its speech. Maybe I just shouldn't conform to the way that the world looks at and spends money. Maybe I shouldn't conform to the way that the world says I get to use my time however I want. Maybe I shouldn't conform to the ways of the world that says build up a fence and shut your garage door and who cares about your neighbors and fences make good neighbors anyways and just no. Maybe I need to start to exam ways that my life is conforming to the world and I need to break that mold and get out of that. I read about a study. It's a fascinating study. They created this test. Super simple test. What do you do at a stoplight that is red? You know, you stop. You, you know, they just created this test that virtually anybody with a brain could get 100% right. But it was a long test. Like hundreds of questions. And they gave two of the same test. The first one was perfectly printed, white, crisp, clean paper, everything spelled out perfectly clear. It was so easy to read through that people began to coast. And then as it went on and on and dragged on and on, and because the questions were really in a sense so simple, people though actually started to get sloppy because they'd throw questions like, what do you put in a toaster? And people like, right, toast, you know, like, because you would think, oh, you put bread in a toaster, toast comes out. So it was just a really simple test, but just droned on and on. The other test, they put on faded paper, they folded it, they crumpled it up, they put like 
coffee mugs on it, so it'd have like coffee stains like on the corner. And so you actually really had to like work to read the questions. Who did better? <laughs> the people that had to work to read the questions, they just had to work harder to read the questions on the page to understand them and answer them did better. That is the duty of the Christian life. We just have to work harder. We just have to pay more attention. We just have to focus our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds on what's happening in the world. And we have to be so attentive to it that we can pause in at different points and say, mm, conformity to the world would take me down this path. But transformation, offering my body, living a life holy and pleasing, holy and pleasing, will take me down this path. Let, let, let me wrap it up. There's a lot more that we could say about it, but I want you to not get uh, too worn out from this, but be able to take it away and begin applying this to your life. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Just remember that the ultimate pattern of this world ends us up in a box in the dirt dead. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Let's just push to the end. The ultimate pattern conformity to this world is death. It's spiritual death. It's physical death. But nonconformity, the pattern of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus, his son. Just know that the reward of forgiveness and forever is great through Jesus Christ. We don't want that ultimate conformity to the death and the decay of this world. We want the transformation of forgiveness and eternity with him. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's the old adage, what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? What comes first, behavior or belief? Belief or behavior what Paul has done here, understand this about the grammar of what we have in two verses, he has in one thought in the Greek, and not to be like a nerd or be like, you have to study these things if you're going to fully understand them. Let, but understand that what he, what is a little bit more apparent in the original is that this is one whole encapsulated thought. Just don't make the division. Behavior impacts belief, belief impa impacts behavior. You offer your body holy and pleasing to God. You seek the transformation of your mind. The transformation of your mind impacts how you conduct your behavior. What you do with your behavior will impact your thoughts. So he's just pulling it all together. Make sense? Make sense? Do we get that? That's just a beautiful reflection in this passage of how it all holds together. And we don't have to get sidetracked by these silly debates. What comes first, our behavior or our belief? It all is working together. Work on transforming your mind. Work on your behavior and the offering of your body. Do it all holistically as a whole, as a whole offering to God. But here he lands then on be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds do need transformation. Our thoughts, our thinking can be captive, captive to the world or held captive for the glory of God. I think many of us have experienced moments where maybe we've been on a walk <laughs> or sitting alone at night and we've tried to be entertained or amused with different things and we realize our mind just ran off, rehearsing maybe something that happened at work 
that's been driving you crazy. And you've just been replaying it and replaying it and replaying it over and over again. I bet everyone here, you can in a heartbeat go back to something somebody said to you or did to you when you were a child or when you were in college or in a previous marriage or something that happened. And you, you, you can just get lost in that hole, in that thought, in that moment again. Am I the only one? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm so glad there is transformation of mind because I just claim this verse when I find myself in those spots. George, you do not need to be held captive to this anymore. God, transform my mind, transform my thinking, transform the way that I understand and approach and see this. Begin to work that transformation. I don't wanna be held captive to this thought, to this person, to this experience, to this moment. I don't wanna be a prisoner of that. I don't want that to live here in my heart and take over my mind. I need your transformation. Friends, just, you know, I'm not a name it and claim it preacher, except in this case, name it and claim it. Jesus begin transforming my mind and my thoughts around this issue then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Oh, so here's the series we'll need to preach sometime. And again, every one of these springboards into something deep. What is God's will? What does it mean to know and do God's will? God's will is spoken of in a depth of ways throughout the scriptures, but we can generally land on two different things. One we would often talk about, and we do often talk about, the sovereign will of God. God's will that will be done. But notice even in the prayer that Jesus taught us, we can get in line with the will of God. We have the assurance, we have the promise, we have the comfort and the hope that God's sovereign will will be done. We unpacked this a little bit earlier this summer in one of our sermons, and we just landed on that truth that we see throughout God's scripture that certain things in the will of God, no matter what happens by his people in this world through our lives, it's gonna get done. And extreme cases of it, which very often scripture is extreme and wonderful cases of us that are to give us hope, are things like God might want you to go and preach to Nineveh and you try to go to Tarshish, so he's gonna throw you over a boat, get you swallowed by a whale and puke you up on land. That's an extreme case of God saying, this is my sovereign will and it will be done. And for the believer, that is of great comfort and hope again, that we cannot thwart the sovereign will of God. Rest in that. Be assured of that. If God has a sovereign plan over your life to do something, to be something, to be somewhere, it's gonna get done, right? <laughs> it's gonna get done. That's comfort and that's peace. But then we read so many other places, God's will for us is to love our neighbor as he's loved us. God's will for us is to be perfect in our conduct and speech. God's will for us, he wills and he wants. So there's God's sovereign will, and then there's God's sanctifying will. When we want things to happen in and through our lives that will be honoring and pleasing to God. And that's what this is landing on. What Paul has established is God's sovereign will has been done and is being done and it will be done. But now on your part, for the application of your life, you need to choose the sanctifying will of God through your life. Now you get to be a part of it, that you, through the offering of your body and the transformation of your mind, can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. 
And that's what we should want. That's what we should desire. That's how I start my day. Landing on this. Now, God, may your good, pleasing, and perfect will be done. My friends, it is good. Someone say it's good. It is good. It is good. It is always, only, and forever good. The will of God is good. You know, what's good for you might not be good for somebody else. What's good for somebody else might not be good for you. We kind of think that sometimes, right? No. God's will is always good. And then the rub then, and this is so much depth here, and then it's pleasing. The true transformation comes to our mind when we are pleased with the will of God. When we are most pleased, when we most delight, when we most desire the good will of God in and through our lives. Oh, when we get to that place in our lives, when we do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because all we want is the will of God. Good and pleasing in our life. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'll admit it. But maybe I'm getting better. I pray I'm getting better. I'm working on getting better with his help, with his spirit work in my life. I want to be pleased with the things that please God, his good, pleasing. And friends, it's perfect. It's perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Doesn't mean that we achieve perfection, ultimate sanctification, ultimate holiness, this side of Christ's return now forever in him but oh we pursue it we go after it we chase after it we want it we ask forgiveness for when we mess up and then we get on with it this is it friends i'm going to say it one more time carlos you can lead us in some worship then and we're going to pray uh, sing our way through this friends but therefore i urge you brothers and sisters here at connections i urge you in view of god's all that he has done for us through Jesus Christ to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual and reasonable, your true and right act of worship. Don't be duped. Don't be taken in. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good pleasing and it's perfect let's pray